further ado, we're going to go into uh, the sermon this morning. This morning, we continue in the book of Matthew, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, particularly. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking about a very, very uh, famous parable, uh, the parable of the sower or the parable of the seeds or the parable of the soil. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, if it's helpful to have all of those different distinctions in this parable. Um, and before we do that, though, uh, I want us to walk to talk about the one thing, the main idea that I want us to walk away from from this sermon today. And it may be a little bit obscure uh, because uh, I haven't talked about the sermon yet. But the, t- the uh, main idea is get to the good soil, get to the good soil. OK, and that's going to make sense as we get into the sermon this morning. How many of you have extensive experience with particularly younger children? Before I had my children, I hadn't had a whole lot of experience with younger children because in my house, I am the baby, but my brother is about 15 years older than me, so I'm really like an only child. He was like another parent, so I was blessed with like three parents to spoil me. And um, one of the things I've learned with my son, who's three years old, is the overwhelming nature of why. This is overwhelming. Everything is why. Um, And the best way I could think about it in terms of if I put it in a scientific image, I'm not a scientist. So for the scientists here, forgive the way I mess up this illustration. But when I was when I was in science classes, we talked about elements, right? The elemental table. And those were supposed to be the most basic uh, uh, components of, of, of substances, right? You break it down to elements. But then we learned that it wasn't the most basic component that you could actually break elements down even further into protons, neutrons, and electrons. And then I learned that you could break down electrons even further into something I think they call plutons or something like that. And then you could break it down even further to whatever it is now. They they, they found that out after I graduated. Um, (laughs) But that's what it feels like with the why question. My son will ask me why to the point where I really don't know why, son. I don't know why for that why. Just because I said so. Right? Anybody else has been there? Yeah. Um, I can imagine that Jesus being with the disciples felt like this a lot. They would ask why or how come. And Jesus being a little bit better than we are by a lot. He was always patient to ask the question. But in this particular story we're going to read today, the disciples asked why. And I find that the answer to their why is extremely impactful for us today if we can understand what Jesus was trying to get at. Okay, so we're going to talk about this. Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, 18 through 23. And just keep in mind again, the main idea is this. Get to the good soil. Beginning in verse 1. It says, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. 
still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, and thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me this morning, brothers. Father, I thank you so much for, indeed, the privilege and the honor it is to stand before your people and to proclaim your word. I thank you for your mercy that you would use me in such a way. Lord, as I stand up here, I pray that you would grant me clarity of communication. You'd even grant me clarity of mind that you would grant me, Lord God, conviction. Then indeed, your word would be as true in my heart as it is in reality, and Lord God, I pray that you would cause your word to go forth and accomplish in every heart and every mind here, Holy Spirit, exactly what you desire your word to accomplish. May we be changed, Father. Please change us, Lord. Lord, save us, convict us, challenge us, inspire us. And by all means, Lord Jesus, would you get us to the good soil? I give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. Continue to lift up our pastor as he continues with his sabbatical. I pray for he and his family that they would continue to get deep breath, deep connection with each other, deep connection with you. And, Lord, I do ask they come back with a recharged battery in their back, ready to serve and to lead us in the way that you call them to. Anybody who couldn't be with us this morning for whatever reason, we think about Miss Reese. We thank you, Father, for her surgery going well. We pray for quick and full recovery and that she's with us again soon. And all others, we lift them up to you and pray that they can be with us again soon. All this we ask in your merciful name. And we give you the honor and the glory and the praise for hearing us. Amen and amen. And so if you were a part of the discourse uh, Bible study that we did, the five discourses of the Lord Jesus Christ, you would know that chapter 13 is the discourse of what? Looking at you, Reese. Come on now. I didn't expect something bad to come out, but chapter 13 is the discourse of parables. And it's called the Discourse of Parables because in this particular chapter, uh, Jesus tells eight sermons, I mean, eight parables within this sermon or this speech or, or this discourse. 
And the chapter begins by telling us that Jesus goes out of the house and then he sits by the lake. Um, It's believed that this house is the house that he was sitting in at the end of chapter 12 when his brothers and his mother come to to get him away. They think that he's lost his mind and they've come to grab him. Um, And that lake that he is sitting by is believed to be the Sea of Galilee. And for a little bit of geography, it's believed that where Jesus goes when he when he gets into a boat in this lake to be able to speak to the people that that was called. It was something of a known amphitheater. It was built up against a rock that was built like a horseshoe so that when he spoke, it would carry his voice farther. So so this 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 setting serves for Jesus to be able to better speak to such a large crowd that has gathered. As you said, the crowd was so large that Jesus gets in the boat, it creates distance. It also creates this amplification effect. And when Jesus stands up or sits rather in the boat. To speak, the first thing he says to them is, a farmer went out to sow seed. He says that a sower went out and some seed fell along the path and the birds came and ate those seeds up. We'll talk about what that means. He says some fell along some rocky soil, but it grew up quickly. And and because there was no depth of soil for the roots, it burned up quickly. Some seeds fell among the thorns, but as the, 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 the plants grew with the thorns, the thorns choked the life from the seeds, so the seeds were not able to produce fruit. But then some fell on good soil, and those seeds endured, and they bore 30, 60, and even 100 times the fruit of what was sown. But before we go any deeper into the parable, I want us to understand how strange this may have been for the people standing on the shore as Jesus is teaching them. You see, because Jesus knows that, I mean, because these people know that Jesus is an extremely wise person. They know that Jesus has a lot of great things to teach them. They know that Jesus is a powerful person. He has healed people of all kinds of diseases, cast out all matter of demons, and these people have come. They've thronged to this seashore in order to hear Jesus give some golden nuggets of wisdom that they can take and kind of carry them on. And as they sit there waiting for these nuggets of gold to fall from Jesus' lips, Jesus says, a sower went out to sow. It's kind of like if I came up here on a Sunday morning and you guys are waiting for me to expound the word and I say, well, LeBron James went out last night Scored 30 points, 20 rebounds, and 10 assists. Let's pray. Right? What in the world was Jesus getting at? We don't see it this way because we're looking at it this far ahead. But place yourself on the shore. What in the world is Jesus getting at? And this is exactly what prompted the disciples' question in verse 10 when they asked, Jesus, why do you speak to the people in parables? The question isn't so much a matter of curiosity as much as it is a question of, Jesus, why don't you just get to the point? Jesus, why be so cryptic? Why be so strange in the things that you're saying? 
Well, Jesus abandons the cryptic talk that he gives to the crowd and he looks to them and he tells them plainly in verse 11. He says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. In other words, Jesus's crypticness is intentional. He speaks to the crowds this way so that they will not understand exactly what he means. Because the understanding of the mystery of the kingdom is reserved for Jesus' disciples and not for the broader crowds. Brothers and sisters, I hear the wheels turning in your brain right now. I feel the angst coming up in some of your spirit. But, but, but Rod Williams. All right. Stick with me. And so then Jesus gives the explanation of the parable in verses 18 through 23. And his explanation of the parable, his explanation, it actually serves to flesh out this previous, this pre-explanation that Jesus gives about why he speaks to the people in parable. And when we look at the explanation of the parable, I think that it's a bad idea to do some things that I think people have done pretty often historically. It's, it's unhelpful to try and, and parse apart each and every detail of the parable, okay? It's unhelpful to, to, to figure out, like, who exactly is the sower? Or what exactly is the soil? Or what exactly is the seed? You guys have asked those questions before. If you're familiar with this parable, right, that's unhelpful. Because when you look at this parable in the original language, what you learn is that the sower, the seed, and the soil together, all together, they describe the receptiveness of the kingdom by a person or people. All of it together paints the picture of what it means in each scene to be receptive or, or to not be receptive, in other words. Attempting to try to deconstruct each piece of the parable would likely end up, with, end up with you avoiding what Jesus is trying to communicate through the collective image, through the entire picture. So that when Jesus says at the end of verse 19, he says, this is the seed sown along the path. He means that the sower, the seed and the path together carry the meaning of a person hearing and not understanding the message of the kingdom and then the enemy coming and taking it all away. And we're going to explain that a little bit more. Now, here's the part I think a lot of you guys have been waiting for. Right. It's also unhelpful to try to figure out why God reveals the mystery of the kingdom to some and to others. And to be fair to the biblical story, okay, to be fair to the biblical story, what this parable tells us is that there is some intentionality in the different sowing scenarios. Some are planted along the path, some are planted along the rocky, rocky ground, and some among the thorns, and some in the good soil. Here, as in many places in the Bible, God illustrates the profound mystery of the interplay between God's divine sovereignty and human responsibility. In other words, God has a plan, and we all play an active role in that plan, while at the same time, our active role is a part of God's plan. To try to parse that out will drive yourself, you'll drive yourself insane. And I know it sounds confusing, 
but you guys can get the fun here. Don't get caught up in the weeds. Now you got it. Instead of getting caught in the weeds, though, brothers and sisters, be kudzu. Be kudzu. Go to that next slide for me. Be kudzu. Kudzu, or Japanese kudzu, as it's called, it made its way to the eastern U.S. from Japan in 1876, and it was brought over because of its sweet smell and its ability to nourish soil and to prevent soil erosion, especially for soil that has been laying dormant for a while. But what it wasn't brought over for was how immensely invasive it is. Kudzu is one of the most invasive plants in the world, and it is the most invasive plant on the eastern seaboard, especially in the southeast. And you can see these pictures of kudzu. This one right here, um, the one to the bottom left, is actually, it was titled, when I Googled it, it was just titled Atlanta. <laughs> that one right there. To the bottom left. And I thought, okay, see that. You'll notice to the top right, I don't know if you could see that, that's actually a house that has been absolutely consumed by the kudzu. If you look to the right, these are boats, two different yachts that have been actually consumed or being consumed by kudzu. Here, here, here are cars that are consumed by kudzu, kudzu growing all around and all through it. Friends, put simply, kudzu is going to get to the good soil and be fruitful no matter what. Kudzu is going to get to the good soil and be fruitful no matter what. So I say, brothers and sisters, be kudzu. Don't try and figure out where you fall in God's sovereign plan that has not been revealed to you. Focus on what you can control and get to the good soil. Be determined to get to the good soil and to grow and to go through and around whatever you have to to get to it. Get to the good soil. And I want us to take a look at the first three soils, or the lack thereof, and I want us to find some applications on how to get from that place or those places to the good soils in our lives. Because, brothers and sisters, the reality is that the reception of the kingdom is not a one-time thing. The reception of the kingdom is not a one-time thing. At certain times, you may find yourselves in any of these scenarios as it pertains to receiving the kingdom. And I want us to be able to still get to the good soil no matter where we are. And the first place is this, the path. The path. The path is the place where there is no soil and no growth. The seeds hit the ground and right away the birds come, or as Jesus explains it, the enemy comes, Satan himself, and he snatches it up. And when you look at the, 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 the um, original language, he says he snatches it up like a ravenous animal. He snatches it up like a raptor, like a, like a predator snatching up its prey. And the dilemma of the path is a matter of lacking understanding. Jesus says that when the word of the kingdom comes and it is not understood, then like the seed on the path is snatched away. Now, a quick word about the kingdom, the message of the kingdom. The message of the kingdom is more than just forgiveness of sin, salvation, and go to heaven. It is that, 
It's all of that. If you're here this morning, listen to me, if you are here this morning and you do not know this, understand that what all of this is about is about our Savior Jesus coming and taking upon himself the brokenness of this sinful world and granting us who believe in him victory and welcoming us into eternal life after this life. And if you don't know that, if you don't have that, know that this is available to you this morning. But that's only part of the message of the kingdom. That's only part of the message of the kingdom. You see, the message of the kingdom is Mark chapter 12, verse 31, which says, love your neighbor as yourself. The message of the kingdom is Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, that says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The message of the kingdom is Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21 that says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The message of the kingdom is the complete instructions on how to live in this world and not be of this world because you are a servant of the king who is so far beyond this world. You guys got really quiet. Sometimes you know you're preaching. But the folks don't want to come with you. I'm going to drink me a bottle, a little bit of water. This water might have been open before. Bless the Lord. The mystery of the kingdom is all of this. But here's the thing. The mystery of the kingdom is not always easily understood. And when we don't understand it, the best thing that we can do is to be like kudzu and do whatever we can to gain understanding. When we don't understand it, the best thing we can do is work to gain understanding. Attend a Bible study. Join a discipleship group. Ask questions. Email me, leon at redeemeratl.org. Ask questions of your Christian friends. Ask questions. Consult books that discuss the Bible and discuss the God of the Bible. Like it says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, it says this. The beginning of wisdom is this. Real simple. Get wisdom. And though it costs all you have, get understanding. In other words, be kudzu. Get to the good source. Second scenario is this, the rocky ground. Jesus explains that the dilemma of the rocky ground is a matter of endurance. Um, someone understands the message of the kingdom, and they receive it with great joy, but then a little bit of hardship comes because of life in the kingdom, and they give up on all the kingdom stuff. And what's interesting is that Jesus says here, the problem of the shallow soil with that rocky gravelness is not just that there is not just the rocks, but the fact that there isn't enough room for the seed to take root. It's a lack of rootedness. And so the question then for us is we think about what it means to be in the rocky soil or to, to be from the rocky soil and get to the good soil is this. Are we being rooted 
in the kingdom? Are we being rooted in the kingdom? And to me, this is a matter of community, right? Someone hears the message of the kingdom. It's an exciting message. But then you go back to your your old communities. You go back to your old ways of living. And all of that doesn't mesh with the kingdom. And so it quickly becomes too much trouble and you give it up. If you find yourself in this category, my advice to you this morning is to find some godly community and work to adopt you some godly habits. Speaking about the enduring power of community, the writer of Ecclesiastes says it this way in 412. He says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Get around some other Christians who are really pursuing the kingdom and see how surrounding yourself with other faith believers will bolster your own faith, especially in the face of the difficulties that arise because of the kingdom. One of the things that I thought about is when you look at the book of Acts, and Acts is the beginning of Christians being slaughtered for the sake of the faith, but as you consider how it just progressively gets worse for Christians, they're being slaughtered, they're being thrown into into uh, what do you call them, auditoriums where animals are tearing them apart. I wonder what, what could keep you continuing to trust in this Lord Jesus Christ in the face of such a thing. And one of the things, other than the Spirit of God doing miraculously, one of the things I could think of is having known the faith of so-and-so who has gone before me and thereby feeling like all is well. A lot of times we struggle, brothers and sisters, because we don't have any, anybody around us who's gone before us. You surround yourself with the, with the people. Am I, am, I, am, I, am, I, am I speaking truth? You surround yourself with the people who, who seem to be, for lack of a better word, falling behind. Not, not, not grounded, not rooted, not, not forging ahead in this thing find you some godly community. And the last ground is this, the thorns. Jesus explains the dilemma of the thorny ground. He says it's a matter of being anxious, of having anxious concern over the temporary things of this life. And specifically, Jesus points out money. You know what's so crazy? The older I get, the more I realize how much of life is determined by money. It's quite shocking, honestly, especially when you don't have much growing up and then you learn how much it takes for life to, to, to actually go. And, and you start to recognize how money can become so central in terms of pursuit of, in your life. Amen? Is it just me? And so what Bishop Todd said a couple weeks becomes that much more significant when he talked about the cruciform life and where he says that it does not matter how much you have or how little you have because whatever you have is meant to be laid down for the kingdom. And what it made me think of as I went through the sermon, this is not an easy question, it made me think, made me ask the question, how much would I chase wealth or whatever it is in my life I've been chasing if I knew that the end of me having that thing was just to lay it down? 
Whatever it is in this life that you hold as your greatest desire, would your pursuit of that thing change if you knew that to have that thing meant only to lay it down, to give it up? Because that's the message of the kingdom. Lay it down. Give it up. Your treasure is in heaven, and that thing, whatever it is, is temporary. And what's more, it's not worthy of your soul. So, friends, be kudzu. Be kudzu. What would kudzu do if it found itself on a path? What would kudzu do if it found itself in a rocky soil? What would kudzu do if it find itself on a house or a truck or a building, wherever it is? What would kudzu do? It would fight like heck. PG-13. It would fight like heck to get to the good soil. Brothers and sisters, get to the good soil this morning.